Revelation chapter 15 today. Are you ready? I've got exciting news for you. Are you excited? I'm excited. Hey, Bob, are you, is Deb with you? Oh, how you guys doing? Welcome back, and, but you're getting ready to go again, yeah? Well, we love you. We love you. Welcome back. You're always family. Yeah, listen, if you don't want to be loved, you probably should go somewhere else, okay? Uh, uh, listen, uh, so at Revelation 15, are you excited? Okay, here's the exciting news. We are going to do, get your faith ready, two, count them, two full chapters today. That's right. So I, if you, I hope that you packed your lunch. No, no. Honestly, I'm, my goal is that I, 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 I spent a lot of time in chapter 15 for about three days, and, I, and I, my, I thought, well, I can't do more than one chapter. It's just too much time and too much study, too much to cover, too much ground. But I thought, I can't. I can't not do chapter 16. So I had to double down and kind of backtrack. And, and, and I just want to tell you, just so that you know, that there's quite a bit of, of, of time to spend in just talking with commentaries and study Bibles and, and all kinds of things. So we're going to do two chapters today because we need to because it's, it's one big idea. Everybody say one big idea. One big idea. Now, so we're going to get right into it, and then we'll kind of explain as we go. So we're, the, the title today is The Just Wrath of God. Once again, wonderful titles in Revelation always make you shout, right? Woo! Yeah, The Just Wrath of God. But I think, I think you'll get your joy on all the way through this today. I, at least you should, all right? Verse 1 of chapter 15, John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Now here John signals that he is having a new vision. When he says, I saw another sign in heaven, that is a literary clue that this is the, if we had slide projectors, that means the slide projector button has been changed, and he's describing a new picture for us, a new vision. So, and, there, and Revelation really is a series of visions. So in, in this one, he sees seven angels, verse 1, seven angels who have, who, it says they have seven plagues. The truth is they will have seven plagues. We don't actually see them, pardon me, that was rough, them or the plagues until verse 6 and 7. So it's kind of a preview. Then it, but what is important is what this passage says. These plagues are last, and in them the wrath of God is finished. Would you all say is finished? If you know John and have read anything else that John has written, you've heard that phrase before. John chapter 19 and verse 30 is what John records Jesus saying on the cross at the, at the conclusion of his sacrifice. That, that effort, that expense, Jesus says it is finished. It's the same language here. In this expression, it is finished. These plagues poured out in this vision, this, the, the, what, this, whatever John is describing to us about the wrath of God, this has come to an end. From here, things change. We're going to have a, another brief narrative about Babylon, and then we're all going to the throne of judgment. Yay! All right? So then we get to view the lake of fire and all kinds of fun things. So be sure to come back the rest of the summer. All right? Remember, the book, the, the book closes with, Behold, I am coming, and my reward is with me. That's our hope here, friends. Okay? This is good stuff. Now, this vision, I believe that what we're going to see today is another retelling of the sevens. Okay? John has given us, we have, when, at the first part, we saw seven seals on a scroll that were opened, and each of those seals had certain things happen. Then, a short time later, 
we heard seven trumpets sounded. And with each of those trumpets, there were expressions and stuff going on. And now we have, are going to have seven bowls. I think that these are all of, that these sevens are retelling, it's called recapitulation, but they are retelling the same idea, the same expression of God. Now, there are other ways that people approach Revelation, and I'm not going to stand here and say that I'm right. Yes, I am. But, uh, but there are one, one of the views is more of a sequential view that views that there are, that this, you got seven seals, and then after all of that, seven trumpets, and then after all of that, seven bulls, and they string them out. I have a challenge with that because it, to me, it I can't make the text work. There are things that happen. For instance, in, in the, when the, the sixth seal is exposed, um, uh, yes, it's symbolic, and yes, there's hyperbole, but it says there's this massive earthquake. The sky rolls back like a scroll. The sun falls down. The mountains disappear, and the wrath of the Lamb has come, and it's over. It's pretty hard to recover from that. You can't top that, and yet there are two more series of visions. That's just one example of why. It, to me, it makes better sense to understand that John is telling things over. He is seeing these visions repeated. Now, you might say, hey, Pastor Dab, yeah, why do we need to hear it two or three times? Well, why do we? Mm-hmm. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that, that, that it's, it's, it's Mosaic law. It was Hebrew tradition that... For it, it let every matter be established by two or three witnesses. If there were three witnesses, that meant the matter was established. If so, if we're seeing three visionary witnesses to God, to this to the judgment of God, the judgment of heaven, then we know this: the matter is established. This is what this is what Joseph said to Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh had two dreams about about years of abundance and years of famine. He had two dreams. One was big, big hefty. Carbohydrate-eating cows followed by Cato cows, right? And then, and then there were, and then there were big, big wheats followed by no wheats. And then there were, and, and they, 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 they were, they, they were, the cows were different. The wheat was different. It, it, and that's not twenty-eight years of things happening, or fourteen different years. That's a period. This is he's, what Joseph tells Pharaoh is that. He actually explains it to him, and he says, now, as for the repeating of the dream, as, as to why you saw this twice, it means the matter is determined by God. So if Pharaoh sees it twice, and Joseph says, ah, that, mean God, that means God, he means it. If we are seeing something on an eschatological level that's, that's repeated three times, it means God means it. This is, this is happening, and it's, ha- it's going to happen. The matter is settled. Now, each of these expressions, I believe, seals, trumpets, bowls, I think each of them kind of have their own flavor, their own personality, their own rebel, their own part of, of God's wrath or his, his, his judgment that's being revealed. And uh, I realize every time I say wrath or judgment, I can almost hear the room go, ow, ooh, don't say that. We don't like that word. You will, I promise, in a minute. I hope so. Anyway, I'm going to try to persuade you, okay? But uh, the, the seals really, really gave us a glimpse of the consequences of man's own sin coming against him. The trumpets, as they do, trumpets are instruments of warning, and they, and they were warning and callings to repent. And we actually saw a more intense expression that with, with these warnings, we saw, the, we saw a, a demonic torment on the earth for those who weren't repenting. They were, they were afflicting man, that there's stuff going on. In these seven bowls of wrath, we're going to see this, we're going to see the emphasis that the wrath of God is an expression of his justice. 
The wrath of God is an expression of the justice of God. How many are glad that God is just? Okay? And so the point is this, my dear friends, that God is just and that his just wrath will be fully expressed. His wrath will be fully expressed in judgment for those who blaspheme, yes, but also that wrath, that same wrath, do you know what else it does? That same judgment of God exercises salvation and deliverance and reward for those who belong to him. It is the same act of God, the same move of his hand that brings judgment on those who would blaspheme and reject him and embrace sin is the same hand that acts to save and deliver and, and to bring salvation and even reward. That's why we should rejoice in the judgment of God because it's really good news. For anybody who will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the judgment of God is really good news. That's why Paul said he lived every day of his life looking forward to the judgment of God. Looking forward to stand before standing before God in judgment. Michael Phelps, how many gold medals he got? Every single gold medal is a result of judgment. Every stroke in the water, he was thinking judgment. I'm going to be judged for this, but he didn't. It didn't make him swim worse. It made him swim better. <laughs> and that's what happens when we look at this. We're thinking it's the, the wrath of God is real and we should live like Jesus is coming. And if we do, we'll be effective, we'll be faithful, we'll be fervent, we'll be joyful. All right. So the point is this, friends. One point. God is just. His just wrath will be fully expressed. And please, therefore, let us not say, oh, when you say wrath of God, you're, you're just preaching doom and gloom. You are a doom and gloom preacher. Really? Have we met? You're a doom and... No. I'm... No. If there are... Listen, if there were gross errors in, a, in, a, in an organization's uh, financial account, gross imbalances... No one would shout doom and gloom when those numbers were reconciled. They would say, ooh, good. Right? If, if, if there are gross crimes and, and horrendous injustices committed, no one cries doom and gloom when the perpetrators are brought to justice or when the victims are spared and, and, and cared for and, 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 and receive their just care as well. No, no one cries doom and gloom then. Why? Because we get it. That's what justice is supposed to do. And God is the author and the source of justice. It's all good. Here we go. All right. So, here we, so here's what we need to remember. God's wrath is just. It is necessary. It is good. And it is praiseworthy. All right. We're doing all right. So let me just press it a little bit further in case you're not persuaded yet. Okay. If you cannot or will not give praise to God for his wrath, then you aren't seeing him very clearly and you can't hear the voice of heaven. If you cannot or will not give praise to God for his wrath, you've probably underestimated evil and sin and taken for granted the near measureless mercy and patience of God. Verse 2. That was only verse 1, but we're going to, I promise, we'll go faster. 
Verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and over his image and over the, and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding the harps of God. You ever hear people say, oh, heaven's just not going to be us standing around playing harps. Well, it's going to include a little bit of that, okay? The harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So what we have here is John sees a picture, a bunch of people who have been overcomers, conquerors, who are standing on the shoreline of a sea. Hmm, a sea of glass. Now, this is, this, we saw the sea of glass in chapter 4, so we know that we are seeing people around the throne room of God in heaven. Pretty cool. And this particular, but this time the sea has this, this feel, this look of red, like judgment or something has happened. Fascinating. Okay? And they're singing the song of Moses. The song of Moses is in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. Should we read all 18 of those verses together today? No, no time. But we sh- you should know this, that this is a song that the people of God sang on the, the shoreline of the Red Sea after they had been delivered, after they had been? Thank you. Say it again. After they had been? So the song of Moses is a song for the? A, who, who sings it? The, the delivered, okay? But they're singing it. They've been delivered, and they're singing it after they just saw Pharaoh's army being wiped out. So the song of Moses is the song of deliverance and celebration for God acting with justice on the oppressor. That's why we understand wrath is the same thing. It is, their, it is salvation and judgment, and we should rejoice in it. So they're singing this, they're singing this song. The, in the synagogue, on every Sabbath evening, they would sing this song in the synagogue. It was a part of their culture, part of their history. And now John sees this group of people singing it in heaven, meaning that their song has become our song. The song of Moses is the song of the Lamb. It is the song of deliverance. It is a song of redemption. It is the song of victory. It is the song of the overcomer. Amen would go there anywhere. All right. So this, and this is what they're saying. Listen to the... They're singing it, and then in response to that, here's how heaven is celebrating the wrath of God. This is what they're saying. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. So his works are great and marvelous. His ways are righteous and true. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For the nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What we have seen and what we will see again is the righteous acts of God. What we're about to see in 15 and 16 is this, that God is just, he is holy, and his justice will be fully revealed. Verse 5. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded with their chests, uh, around their chests with golden sashes. Wow, we should spend a half an hour dissecting that. No, we won't. Okay, verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God. I don't appreciate it. How many years ago was it, John? What, did, what year is this? It's too long. It was like 20 years ago. John and his crew were a part of a, a ministry internship group. And those rascals, they, what was their, their name of their band was One Bad Pig or something nonsense like that. And they sang a song called 
bowls of, pour yourself a bowl of wrath. That's all I can remember is those guys walking around singing, pour yourself a bowl of wrath. And so I thanked them this week for that song being stuck in my head as I've tried to prepare. But so, <laughs> thanks, John, right? Uh, Seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple, verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Starting at the very end of that segment, that what, what we see here is these angels come, they've got seven bowls, they're, they're, and we're going to talk about those bowls in a minute, but... As this is happening, the temple is filled with smoke. This is an expression of the tangible, visible glory of God. Twice in the Old Testament this happens. When Moses finished uh, 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 building the tabernacle, it was filled with this same visible, manifest glory, and no one could enter it, and no one could do anything. It was an expression of God's glorious presence. And then when Solomon finished the temple, the same thing happened. It was finished, and then it was filled. Somebody should shout, okay? Once, Because after the finished work, the finished work gets filled. That's a really good word right there. But anyway, okay, so they finish the work, and the, te- and the temple is then filled, and filled with the smoke, and no one can do anything because of the glorious presence of the Lord. What we're supposed to see is this, that what is about to happen is all about His glory. He, what we're, this will express His glory, and it will bring glory to Him. God's wrath is just and it is glorious. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. Look at that. That was one whole chapter already done. Yeah. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out on the earth seven bowls of the wrath of God. Okay. Each of these bowls are significant and We are not going to dissect them in detail this morning because that's not the point. But it is important that we stop and hear the the symbolism, the imagery that's used right away. That the the authorized King James says vials, but the word should be bowls. And and if if you're hearing this right, when is the last time in Revelation that we heard about bowls? We heard about them in chapter 5 and verse 8. And in chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, this, the, the image, the picture was that there were angels carrying bowls that in those bowls were the incense, the prayers of God's people. And those bowls were being brought into the presence of the Lord. Now, in chapter 16, those bowls are being brought out of the presence of the Lord. Those bowls were containing the incense, the prayers of the people. Now, you and I, most of our prayers are for revival and for blessing and all of those, and we should pray for that all the more. The church has always prayed for that. But at the time, in particular, Revelation records that much of the prayers of the incense of the people were also about about crying out to God for his justice. And rightly so. And it's it's, it's painful to try to stretch it out or uh, to say it, but it's necessary. That particularly for John's audience, they were aware that while they were praying, your kingdom come and your will be done and stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders, all of those prayers, which are prayers that we must pray, amen, there was also prayers that were prayed for God to see the injustice, to see the oppression, to see the persecution that was happening, and to respond, to do something about this. 
people like Meg. I said, Meg, first service. I said, Meg, how would you pray if tomorrow some, somebody from the imperial, the imperial cult of emperor worship came and that demanded that Aaron acknowledge Caesar as Lord and if Aaron, when Aaron would not, they slaughtered him in front of you. How would you pray? You pray for God to do something. You would feel a tremendous imbalance of justice and your prayers would be lifted up to heaven and you'd wonder if God even heard you. But, but the book of Revelation says every, there's, there's a bull carrying that. There's a bull carrying every intercession. Every time you cry out for your kiddos, hey, every time you cry out for a generation, Wes, every time you're crying out for your kids, every time you're crying out for, for, the, the, for your loved ones, every time you're interceding for something beyond you, you're crying out, don't ever think. You may not see an immediate response, but there is a bull. It might be symbolic, but there's a bull that's carrying every word, holding on to every intercession, every single night when we say, Lord Jesus, let him get everything you paid for. Every single night when we do it, there's a bull holding that. Bubba, I know you can hear me, but you can't see me. There's a bull holding every prayer, son. And in this revelation... There were prayers that went up for, for heaven to respond. Please respond. Please do something. And now we see in chapter 16, the bulls are coming out of the temple. The bulls are coming out because God has heard and God is answering. What's about to be communicated to us is very symbolic, but it's very serious. Now, so these seven bulls are going to be poured out. What I want to say is I think that we'll see the best thing to do is to take a step back and try to see the big picture here, that we're talking about the justice of God, the wrath, the wrath of God is just and glorious, instead of trying to get lost in the trees of what, what's the nuance of these meanings. One of the things that I think you'll see is that with each of these bowls, each of them are, is, echoes what was, has already been, uh, we've already seen in each of the trumpets. I really do think that this, 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 this retelling becomes more clear here. It's kind of mysterious, but I, this is the best way that I can understand what is happening in the text and why. The reason, if I can say it this way, the reason, that's why I want to keep this in mind, the reason this is written down for us is so that we will see and remember that in all of the stuff, would you all say the stuff? In the stuff of life, in the grind of life, in temptations, in persecutions, when you, when, you're, when you think you're bored or you're apathetic about your Christianity or you wonder what, if, does all of this matter, you know, when, I'm, when you're frustrated or disappointed or there seems like there's delay or if there seems like things are imbalanced or things aren't right, here's what you need to remember. You must remember this. Eternity is real. Jesus is coming, and we must live like it. And if we'll remember that, then we will live with hope, we will live with devotion, and we will live with resolve. And, and Christians, the church is always at her best, her most faithful and fervent and fruitful when she lives with an eye on eternity. So, verse 2, so the first angel went out and poured his bowl on the earth. Would you all say the earth? Okay, on the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people. Ew. 
the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Note here that the beast and the mark are still significant. And arguably, if you would acquiesce to my, my assertion, I'm not talking about a tattoo or a computer chip. They just can't. I know, and I agree, and my wife said, I'm still not getting the chip. Fine. But this is about loyalty and about allegiance to blasphemy. Those who, those who would give, give loyalty to, identify with, and give allegiance to blasphemy, this is what we're talking about. Those who worship the beast, they would begin to incur in themselves and upon themselves the consequence of their behavior. It became a loathsome sword. In other words, the, it be, on their persons, they, be, they, they began to feel this. This is not unlike what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, and verse, starting in verse 22. I need to read this just a little bit so you feel what... What, what's happening here? Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of, of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie who was worshipped. For a lie, who is worshipped, and, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged uh, the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their persons the due penalty of their error. Paul is saying that what, what happens in the cycle of sin is that eventually it manifests in the person, that our bodies were not engineered to sin. And part of these bowls of wrath is God releasing that upon people. And the, the point is still repentance, and we'll hear that in a minute. The point is still hope on a hope of repentance. And, then, and the first, by the way, if you'll notice that in the, the first trumpet in chapter 8, verse 7, is also directed... or at the earth. Now, there are some other effects, but the same target. The, the first bowl, the first trumpet, same target. You're going to see this pattern, okay? Quickly now, verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. Gross, gross, gross. And every living thing or every living soul in the sea died. Now, what you need to hear that is that word soul. We, the Bible doesn't teach that, that fish or have souls. So again, when we're talking about sea here, this, this is talking about the sea of humanity and that, there were, and that death was reigning. Death became very prevalent because of it. I want to quickly note that in chapter 8, verse 8, the second trumpet also affects the sea, which turns much of the sea to blood. You might say, what's the deal with turning water to blood? How many, so far, we've heard about boils and water turning to blood. How many of that sounds familiar? Yes, it sounds disgusting. It also sounds like, right, let my people go. It also sounds like the plagues that were delivered against Egypt that worked to bring deliverance. Are you hearing that wrath is judgment against oppression and the force of God to bring deliverance for those who belong to him? That's what we're hearing. This is in, this is in, this, so the symbolism is meant to express that. Again, these two things directed the same. The, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. Holy cow. Wow. It just keeps getting worse. But if you look at the third trumpet, 
in chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, that there's something that falls into the rivers and streams, and those become wormwood. They become bitter. They become poisonous and full of death. Interesting. So the third bowl and the third angel, the third bowl and the third trumpet, both affect rivers and streams, both bring death, but now we're talking about the sea and the rivers and the streams have become like blood. Before we say what in the world we don't understand, let heaven pause to give praise for a moment. Verse 5, and I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things, for they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. There's symbolism here that is, simple, that is saying this. You have the bloodthirsty have, are now experiencing the consequences of their own thirst. And verse 7, and I heard the altar saying, remember the altar also goes way back to chapters 5 and 6 when we heard about the, the, the souls of the saints crying out for justice from the altar. The altar saying, yes, O Lord Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The, the, there's an amen from the angels in heaven, and the point is this, that God is just and his justice will be fully expressed, and his judgment is praise worthy when we see it from heaven's perspective. Chapter 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, which was given to scorch men with fire. And verse 9, men were scorched with fierce heat. Don't be thinking, yeah, like last week. No, no, worse than that. Okay, Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent so as to give him glory. So they're experiencing things, but they're still not repenting. The idea is that God is still looking for or trying to persuade repentance as men are experiencing things. But you might say, what's the deal with, like, pouring things over the sun? And I know many of you would like me to hear me say, oh, solar flares and stuff. Look, fine, I don't care, but I don't think so. Do you want to go that route? Awesome. But I don't think that's what John's trying to communicate. Like there's going to be a solar flare and people are going to feel real hot and somehow blame God for it. They don't believe in God. They wouldn't blame him for it. There's something else happening here. I really believe that, that, that when it comes, when, when John is talking about the sun and about light, he's talking about truth and understanding. The fourth angel, the fourth trumpet was blasted, and the sun was darkened. And we saw that men, was, was, men were confused, they were, dark, they were dark, and they were angry, they were vexed about it. Now we see the same thing. The sun is affected, but there's, there's heat. And, and that's, to me, that speaks of truth. John usually speaks of light and truth in the same language. And we're talking about truth, that people are, are resenting the feel of truth. And, they bla- and that's why they blaspheme God. They wouldn't blaspheme God for a hot day, but they would blaspheme against their re- the resentment for how truth feels. Verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and on his kingdom. His kingdom became darkened, cue word there, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And, they, and, once again, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent. God wants repentance. They did not repent of their deeds. And, the, and Revelation talks about these deeds as idolatry and uh, murders and theft and sorceries and immorality, and, and that's in chapter 9. 
he references these kinds of deeds of men. But here the bull is targeted at the throne of the beast. Those who follow him that bear his mark, they're afflicted with darkness and pain, and they blaspheme in response. Interestingly enough, the fifth trumpet also targets a kingdom. It comes down, and the abyss is open. There's a demonic king named Abaddon the Destroyer that comes out. Hmm, a beast out of the abyss. We read about him, okay? And then there are, there are, and then smoke ascends from that abyss and causes the sky to grow dark. See how these are similar? Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up so that the way would be prepared to the kings of the east. And then, but look at that. Also, the sixth trumpet in 914 also targets the river Euphrates. By now, it just seems obvious to me that these are retelling symbolically similar expressions of the judgment of God. But now, verse 13, you've got to catch this. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, because of this thing that happened at the Euphrates, out of the mouth of the dragon, Euphrates was a river that separated uh, the Palestine area and Rome from the invading armies. Pretty, and pretty much it separated them from the Parthians, who were the only people that Rome was afraid of. So this river was symbolic of a, of a barrier of warfare. So now what he's saying is that barrier is going to be is, is lifted and war comes. And then he says in verse 10, I saw, and I saw out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Like frogs. Nobody has to be mad at frogs, okay? But like frogs. By the way, have you, are you still hearing the similarities? Plagues of uh, boils and blood and frogs and sun and darkness? Yes, these are all echoes of the plagues of Egypt, Okay? And they and they are these these frog-like unclean things in fourteen. They are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the world. In other words, uh, out of the mouth of the of of, of the enemy and 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 out of the, the the expression of evil kingdoms are deceitful blasphemies that continue to influence people. And eventually, they do this <laughs> in verse fourteen to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the the Almighty. We also hear this in 916 that there was that there was that that when that trumpet was released that that it, it released uh, 200 million horsemen. Wow. Verse 16 and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megiddon. Please don't say Armageddon. I understand that what we've heard that well it looks like Armageddon in here. I understand that. But it's Harmageddon, and it means the mount. It's, it's a Hebrew transliteration, and it means the mount of, 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 of Megiddo. And Megiddo is a place in Israel, historically, of great, never-to-be-forgotten battles. Megiddo is a place of, 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 of historic bloodshed. It would be like if we took the, civil, the, the battlefields of the Civil War and added them to the beaches of Normandy, etc., wove them together, and we, what we would say is, whoa, that place is a serious battlefield. It is, it is renowned for the conflict and the bloodshed. And that's what the, John is saying, that he's talking about, a, a, he is using this symbolically to describe a place at a time or a, a season of real conflict. Now, if you want to know more about that, that happens in chapter 19, come back for the fun. But the message in this, in all of this stuff, 
It's not for us to calculate. It's not for us to just to, to worry about or obsess about. And it certainly isn't for us to just dismiss. It's like, well, it doesn't affect me. No, here's why it matters. Verse 15, behold, this is a parenthetical phrase in the middle of all of that. Behold, this is Jesus talking, I am coming. I am coming, and he says, like a thief. That doesn't mean he's coming to rip you off. That means you aren't, you aren't going to know. No paperback book is going to tell you. Nobody on TV is going to say he's coming next week. You're not going to know. He's coming, but he's not going to tell us when. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. If you would like to interpret that particular sentence literally, please do. Anybody needs to see any of that? All right? But this is symbolic. This is about being ready. This is about staying awake or stay, stay woke, bro. Okay? Stay woke. Right? Uh, be aware. Live ready for Jesus to return. Endure persecution. Remain steadfast. Be diligent. Resist immorality and idolatry. Because eternity is real. The wrath of God is real. And Jesus is really coming. So stay woke, bro. All right. Verse 17, wrapping this up. There's really two big ideas. God's wrath is glorious and just and real, and we should give him praise for it. And in the meanwhile, we should stay ready, stay awake, stay diligent. This is the continuing message of the book of Revelation to us. Live with a view of eternity, and you will live well, and you will be ready. Live with a view of eternity, and you will live ready, and you will live well. Here's the last one. Then then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice, nobody in Revelation talks quiet, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God. After this, he's going to come back and talk more about Babylon. Stay with me. if you're. <laughs> I shouldn't say this out loud. But, yeah, if you're looking for hills and, you know, horrors and all that, that's coming. All right? So uh, 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 Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine from his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague. Because the plague was extremely severe. You compare this yet again to the seventh trumpet. In chapter 11 and verses 15 and 19, you hear it again. Seventh angel sounded, loud voices. Verse 19, temple of God in heaven opened, ark of the covenant appeared. And what do we hear? Flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. This is also happens in the seventh seal in chapter 8 and verse 5. There are, there, are, there are peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In each of the sevens, it finishes with that phrase. 
meaning I believe that these are all a symbolic retelling of a single message. The wrath of God is real. And we will live well if we'll keep an eye on eternity. The wrath of God is not doom and gloom. It is judgment and salvation. How do we respond to this again today? Simply by repeating what we've already said. Eternity is real and is trying to get our attention. God is just. And His just wrath will be fully expressed. Count on it and trust in it and rejoice because of it. And behold, when you hear behold, that means open both eyes. Behold, He is coming. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Stay woke. Let's stand. Father in heaven, your word is magnificent and has elements of great mystery to it. And Lord, we do not try to concern ourselves with things that seem to be concealed or mysterious on purpose. But Lord, what we, are, what we do need to understand is the message we are seeing. That Lord, that you are just. You are righteous, that you do not lose measurements. You do not, you do not abide for accounts that are imbalanced. You do not abide in justice. You, you pardon sin. But, Lord, if, the, if we reject the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to blaspheme, Lord, your wrath is just. It is glorious. So, Lord, today I praise you. I praise you as one. I'm so thankful, Lord. I have no arrogance in my heart about it. This isn't about chest thumping. It's about gratitude. Lord, we're thankful. I'm thankful for everybody in this house who could count themselves among those who would stand upon the shore of a glassy sea and sing the song of the Lamb, singing, Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. You are righteous. You have done what is right, and you should be praised for it. I pray for everybody in this room today, Lord, that, that number one, that we would make sure that in our hearts we have, as Peter said, that in our hearts we have set apart Christ as Lord. It's your choice, friend. You're the only one who can choose the Lordship of Jesus. He's Lord whether you choose Him or not. But if you'll surrender to Him, He's your Savior. If you'll surrender, if you'll confess Him in your heart as Lord, it's your choice. Furthermore, because of that, we should all live like it. Live like Jesus is your Lord, that He's your Savior, and that He's coming. Live like eternity is real, because it is. Now, Lord, let truth settle in our hearts. Let grace strengthen our hearts today, where we live for Jesus, our coming King. We do so with gratitude, with hope, and with resolve. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise, friends? Can we do that? Thanks, Lord. Man, we can't, when we hear this, we've got to respond in praise just like heaven does, right? All right. On your way out today, make sure to say something kind to someone. Invite someone back to church next week. Tell them how exciting it's going to be to talk about seven hills and things. <laughs>